Welcome to Earl Grey. Lee, I need to know the exact date. What is the date? It's April 4th, 2017, the day before first contact in, what, how many years is it, Amy? That would be 46 years from today. See, it's so helpful having a math teacher on the team. Happy first contact eve from all of us here on Earl Grey. Hopefully you'll enjoy our episode today. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Trek FM's dedicated The Next Generation podcast, Earl Grey. You are about to enter the Earl Grey courtroom. The people are real. The cases are real. The rulings are final. This is Stump Amy. I'm the prosecutor in this case, Lee William Hutchison, and in the dock today, and there she sits, is Amy Nelson. Um, hello everyone. And on the jury is Richard Marquez. Hey, how you doing? And you, the loyal listeners, are the judge in this case. So today, we are here to debate Star Trek Nemesis. Now, Star Trek Nemesis, according to fans, is one of the worst Star Trek movies. It ranks bottom of the pile compared to every other Trek movie when it comes to box office money. And and it was even claimed at the time that it killed Star Trek. Dun dun dun. However, Amy believes this to be the best Star Trek The Next Generation movie. And as we've seen on the Babel Conference and other episodes, Amy comes out swinging for this movie. So we've compiled witness testimony to see if Amy can defend it and make us look at Nemesis differently, or if it does in fact deserve its reputation. So I pose this to you, Amy and Richard. Are you now, or have you ever been, a Star Trek Nemesis fan? Amy. I have always been a Star Trek Nemesis fan. I cannot think of reasons why anyone wouldn't be. It's fabulous. It's next generation. I love it. I know I am a fan. I have always been and shall always be. What about yourself, Richard? Let's hear from the jury. Let's see if you can be biased or you're no. Well, you know, as a jury, I can't even speak, but <laughs> we'll break the laws here. This is consider this like more Montel than Judge Judy for this second. Montel. <laughs> I do not recall. No. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually really like this movie, actually. Um, but I can be biased and I can hear both sides. So I am ready to be convinced or not convinced. So <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here today. I quite like the movie. I mean, it, it's very, very, very flawed. But, you know, I've got I'm, I can do that. I can you know put aside my feelings to prosecute this case, to take these people's opinions and the reputation of this movie and yeah no one pose these questions to amy so richard take a seat in the jury's chair make sure you're wide awake on some coffee amy are you sitting comfortably i'm very comfortable excellent so we'll start with the first question this is one of my ones 
So now, Amy, Nemesis is just a case of identity fraud, isn't it? It's just a ripoff of Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, isn't it? Two bad guys who spent time in hell-like conditions both then get a powerful ship with a loyal crew, the ability to escape their prisons. However, they both give in to their own lust for revenge, toy with an Enterprise captain. They end up having a battle in a nebula with disrupted communications and weapon, weapon targeting. Then the beloved character sacrifices themselves to save the Enterprise from a doomsday device. So, Amy, don't wait for the translation. Answer me now. Is this a ripoff of Wrath of Khan? Well, when you put it like that, <laughs> it is very similar stories. Um, I don't see as much the lust for revenge in Nemesis, however, um, at least on Picard or Data or Rikers, any of our uh, lovely characters. Um, maybe Shinzon, uh, but it's not played that way. So I guess you could read it. Um, but I don't feel that it is a story of revenge. However, you do have the similarities that you did mention above. Richard, do you see it as a revenge story? Um, you know, actually, that's the first time I ever heard of it uh, can uh, be considered a revenge story. Uh, no, I no, I, I don't think it is. It's more of a, I, I guess, an existence kind of um, story between the two characters, I guess. But I mean, really, there was no... Or at least I can't think of any. I mean, I guess the Romulans, but not not against Picard and Shinzon. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. But some clever avoidance there. Thank you. We spoke about we spoke about all these plot things that parallel very much between Nemesis and Wrath of Khan. Do you deny that those things exist? Well, if as I read the fans correctly, the Wrath of Khan is one of the best Star Trek movies, and if Nemesis parallels it, then Nemesis is one of the best next gen Star Trek movies. Okay. So do you feel that Nemesis is by kind of going down the route of copying Wrath of Khan is just imitating a really good movie and is in your eyes a good movie by default because it's copying a good movie or is it does it stand on its own two feet as a good movie just that it has these parallels to Wrath of Khan? You know uh, you are putting me in the hot seat here because uh again, not that familiar with the original series. So when you brought it up as... (gasps) (laughs) Jury number three, contain yourself (laughs) or you will be ejected from the court. So when you bring it up as so similar to Wrath of Khan, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is... Wow, I did not pick that up, just again, because I'm not that familiar with it. So I think uh, imitation is the best form form of flattery, and it is. It pays homage to the original series yet another way. So I I appreciate it, and I do give it credit. And if you think that that's stealing and copycatting and take that as a negative, then that's your perspective. But I feel that it is, therefore, a very great honor uh, that it does parallel the Wrath of Khan. Now, Amy, are you familiar with a movie, a little-known movie called Star Trek Into Darkness? <laughs> I am. <laughs> what, what did you think of the scenes that directly copied Wrath of Khan in that movie? Did you like them? What, what were your views? Okay, again, oh, <laughs> you're getting me in such hot trouble. 
I was, okay, so I saw the Star Trek 09 and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. I love it. I love it. And they were paying homage to the original series. Again, I'm not that familiar with, but you know, I know the names. And um, so then you see Into Darkness and again, I'm like, oh, this is just... Yes, we all know it's the Wrath of Khan, but it's their own little twist in their own timeline. And so I appreciated it and thought that it was a fun little twist that they did. I didn't take it as a negative. So jury number five, are you convinced by Amy's case that it's flattery to be copying such, you know, parallels from Wrath of Khan? Or do you feel that it is a bit of a ripoff? What do you think? (laughs) Uh, are you talking about uh, Nemesis versus Rathacon, or you're talking about Into Darkness? Yeah, Nemesis versus Rathacon. But okay. we'll, we'll make the case against maybe Into Darkness another day. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I can see it. I, I definitely see it. Uh, I can see the parallels. Uh, to be quite honest, I to me I, I I see the movie as a standalone on its own. Yeah, it's it's got its similarities, but it's the next generation. You know, it's it's their own. Wrath of Khan, <laughs> so to speak. So, there you go. If that makes sense. He's on my I side. St- <laughs> I think. I think the jury member no, has been no, no, swayed no, by no, this. No, 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 no. You said you 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 didn't like or didn't see Wrath of Khan. You yeah. went. You went right here and that. You <laughs> nosedive. <laughs> Somewhere Ken trips, crying a single tear. Now. Obviously, you know, Richard's been swayed by here. But now one of the, the more serious accusations that's kind of been leveled against this movie, um, and it was brought up by Jason Chapman, Chris Reeve, Justin Ozer, Alison Pitt, and Kay Shaw, is the, tra- the Troy rape scene. And does rape belong in a big screen Star Trek movie? We've known Troy for 15 years. She's just got married to the lover of her life. And in her kind of final big storyline in the franchise, she's raped twice. Now, this generated some debate in the Babel conference that some people felt yeah it kind of served a point of the movie or that it was maybe a bit misunderstood or was it just misjudged was it not the best idea to go around what's your response to that amy yes um that is something that yes should be discussed because i do not appreciate it however when uh you're in a war you're going to use anything possible to uh, obtain your directive. And so here's Shinzon. He has got this humongous scimitar. He's going out predator. He's going to get the Federation at all costs. He's going to get Picard. And so he's using everything that's available to him, which is including the, um, you know, uh, his viceroy, Yeah, his telepathic means to that. Yeah. And so, and unfortunately, Troy is, you know, telepathic as well. And so Shinzon is using his tools to uh, get what he wants. And so that is a harsh reality. And it is very disheartening that it happens to Troy over and over again. And I'm not excusing it, but... I do like what happens at the end of the movie. And I talked about this when we talked about uh, Loud as a Whisper, where um, Reva loses his chorus. And I was like, well, Troy goes to Reva and says, can't you turn this negative into a positive? And what, what Troy does is, 
now her quote unquote weakness is now going to be a strength and is going to find the scimitar and be able to, you know, damage it. And so I, I recognize that triumph over her weakness that makes it a positive there. Excellent. What about yourself, Richard? What, what do you think of the kind of the triangle that they took? Do you think was misjudged or was it them maybe trying to be a bit too dark for the sake of being too dark? Um, you know, thinking about it, I don't think it has a place in the movie to be quite honest. I mean, I, I get it. You know, I, I guess there it's an excuse to have uh, Picard, uh, you know, be abduct, uh, abducted by, you know, in front of everyone and, and whatnot. But like, it's I, thinking about it now, it's really that, I don't consider it a rape story. I that or a rape uh, part of the movie. I I just consider it as a violation. But I guess I guess it's the same thing. Um, but like, um, I, I, it served no purpose. It so it served no purpose in the movie, and it could have been deleted and not have. And they could have done something else or whatever, you know. But yeah. I don't know. You know, one thing that I get your point, but when they go to the scimitar and they first meet Shinzon, there is that sexual tension that Shinzon has with Troy. And he's like, can I touch your hair? I mean, he is wanting to touch her hair when... Uh, on the other hand, like Denatra comes and she's proclaiming her allegiance to Shinzon and she reaches to touch him and he's like, don't you ever touch me or I will kill you. And so there's that interplay between the two females here of the show. And so Shinzon we see just instantly there's a sexual tension between them. So I get that he wants to... I guess that didn't come out right. Edit that. So I guess that he uses his viceroy to violate Troy. It sort of makes sense because of that interplay that they had on the scimitar. But then I don't understand why the viceroy gets in on that. And I think that was a step too far. It's creepy. Very yeah. creepy. Yeah, I think think like in other episodes of Star Trek uh, retrospect, for example, I think it balances sort of rape analogies quite well. And I think this one, it just with this movie, it feels like it's just being dark for the sake of being dark. That there, there's violence, there's death, there's despair, and they kind of take this angle. Yeah, and and I think it it's maybe a bit of ahead of its time in a way, and kind of embracing something like that so publicly and i think you could make the analogy that shinzon is you know like a lot of kind of you know young men that kind of do things like that where they are so naive about women and understanding women and how to behave so i think there's definitely a a moral lesson that people can kind of learn from it um you know you, you see it in school so often you know people teaching about consent and i think someone like shinzon i'm sure is sadly a bit too common you know in the world just now and how they view and treat women and yeah i think that's an unintentional reading i get from the movie certainly anyway so moving on to another point long drawn out space battles bored christopher daisy and others 
A generation's final journey devotes nearly half of its running time to seeing the Enterprise firing torpedoes at a cloaked ship. I wonder where I've seen that before. Some brilliant deleted scenes showing character growth for Worf, Data, and an ending for Crusher were lost to show some boring battles. Also, Riker fighting Monster Mash before chucking, chucking him down a pit at the bottom of the ship is just silly. This excessive action surely isn't Star Trek The Next Generation. Is it, Amy? Yes. I don't... Again, I'm like, there's always been action. And um, Suzanne Williamson was very happy to see Ron Perlman in this movie. Uh, She says that he has the best voice, and I agree, even though if they did make it mechanical or whatever. Um, So... Uh, I really appreciated those battle scenes. They were so good and executed well. The Okay, I even wrote down in my notes, the crash scene, come on now, and where Picard's like, he thinks he's got me, or I've got him, because now, you know, he's... Anyway, so that scene where they're crashing the two great, amazing ships incredible fabulous now i enjoyed the fight scenes and when the romulan bird of prey is oh no the romulan warbirds came in man just it was so beautiful i wrote that in my notes too it was i appreciated all of it yeah what about yourself richard you know you're an action guy you're the you know all guns a blazing has amy convinced you that these battle scenes were good or did you already think they were I absolutely that is my favorite part of the whole entire movie and that's, of course it is. that's really the only time I actually, it's the only part of the movie I actually watch anymore <laughs> so <clears throat> yeah um yeah I I because you know I, I I skipped the first what 45 minutes of it which is the boring part to me and then I just watched it from the battle on <laughs> I remembered, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, the script for this movie leaked a good few months before the movie came out, and maybe six, seven months, I don't know. It was kind of an original script, but very much kind of close to what was shot, um, including the deleted scenes. I remember reading the script and thinking, oh my God, this battle scene, like we've not seen this really in Star Trek at this stage, maybe bits and pieces here in, in Deep Space Nine and um, some Voyager. And it was like, oh my God, the ship ramming. That's what I used to do with my toys, just thinking like an Enterprise warping into another ship or something so like that. It was pretty awesome. And some of the stuff that you mentioned, like the, the Romulan ships coming and then being relatively quickly disabled, the ramming scene is, is all brilliant. But it's slightly let down for me by excessive kind of like another... 40 odd minutes it's it just needed to I felt it needed to just be maybe refined a little bit just like we didn't need all that scenes of them just shooting torpedoes in a nebula it just didn't feel like it had much tension because it it bores me after about 5-10 minutes but I do pick up Amy you didn't answer the question yes the action scenes are good but was seeing all these torpedoes fired and missing a ship really worth not getting an ending for Dr. Crusher after 15 years service, seeing Worf talking about um, extreme caution, about Data and Picard talking about the Picard wine. Is that stuff really worth losing on the cutting room floor to get some more guns firing and Riker fighting in a pit? Now you've exactly. I wasn't going to let you away without mentioning the pit. (laughs) All right. Well, I love character development so over 
you know, battle scenes, I would definitely want the character development. But we have the deleted scenes, right? So don't we have it both ways now? Richard, do you think deleted scenes are a good substitute for uh, having something put in the movie and released in the cinema? Me personally, I really think that character development needs to be on the television show and the books and leave all the action in the movies. So that's my take on it. (laughs) But yeah, I actually, you know, uh, having like bonus content or a deleted scene or or anything like that, you know, it's it it doesn't mean it didn't happen either. You know, it just happens to be in the movie. I mean, it's like Batman versus Superman. I mean, the first original cut, it sucked, but with the, with the extended version, it's actually better, far better because it gives more depth to it. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's how, I mean, or at least that's how I'm seeing it. It doesn't mean it didn't happen either. Well, so. Batman v Superman is is guilty. It's currently serving a life sentence as far as I'm concerned. But I disagree <laughs> with your point there. It, just because of the deleted scenes, yes, they're deleted. But in a way that you could argue, yeah, they necessarily not happened. That we see in um, some of the follow-up comics and other things, such things that Martin Madden no longer exists because, hey, we never kind of saw him in a way. Um, and then we get kind of things where we have this character growth. And I remember there was talk of, oh, there, there's going to be an extended cut, for example, but in the box office disaster that it was, like the money was never going to be forthcoming. Surely it's better to put that stuff on the screen. I'd rather have, yeah, sure, keep the, the extend this big battle scene, but also include the uh, those deleted scenes as well. I don't have a problem watching another 15 minutes worth of Star Trek to get some character growth to complement the action. Agreed. Or put it at the end of the movie with all the credits, like all the Marvel movies uh, do with extra content or something like that. But I suppose that's... Uh, Star Trek, it's always about the film and then the end credits and stuff. And I, I think there's definitely... They should have just included it. Um, yeah, I just felt that their decision to focus on the action parts, you know, is a bit of a slap in the face, really. Um, so, yeah, that that's... Yeah, money exactly. It all comes down to money, and um, I think if it had been a bigger success, we'd have probably got a deleted director's cut on the the DVD. But you know, the film ultimately is the bottom of the pile, as we mentioned in in the box office. So, our next point is from John Combs. Witness John Combs. Before you sunk my battleship, John has an issue with the addition of before. Haven't we seen this all before with lore and, you know, you know, he's not even mentioned. What do you take of, of B4? Is it kind of interesting parallels or is it just like, oh, here we go again. More data in the movies. The movie. OK, Nemesis. When you see the credits, you know, and the E's and the Star Trek and the R's like they're. The theme of the movie is mirrors and what do you see in the mirror? So we have, and I know people know this, and so that's why I think it's so weird that they don't recognize it, I guess. So you have Shinzon being a mirror to Picard and you have before being a mirror to Data and that's, we have to have before. And Christopher Query also asked, like, where did before come from? Why is he left in pieces? Um, those are the plot points that the Rom that the Remans are using to 
lure Picard in because there's, you know, something that you just can't resist, another uh, android, another data. And so we get this parallel of B4 and data and how well the interplay between those two of what does it mean to be human? That's data's story. And now we get it with B4. He tries, you know, data tries to be better than himself. He aspires, B4 does not. So that we get those endpoints, those bookends, if you will, for the real story that's in between that is Picard and Shinzon. We have to have before it. And uh, Brent Spiner does a fabulous job playing him. Richard, what do you think? Are you a B4 fan? I mean, yeah. You know, actually, uh, think of it that way. Uh, yeah, I could. I, that actually makes more sense. Uh, obviously, Shinzon, like, like she said, Shinzon being the, the mirror. And it not working, and before being the mirror for data, and it working. So um, yeah, I, I I could see it. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Like I enjoyed the the mirror aspect. I thought, yeah, I had no issue with that whatsoever. And I I didn't buy into the whole thing that you kind of had to mention lore because there's another robot there. We we know it. It doesn't matter. Um, I mean, I think I just found before to be really annoying. I mean, I know he was kind of written that way, but it just comes across as like like this really unfunny guy in the room it's like who is this guy like get rid of him sort of thing um i think the one thing that really annoyed me about the b4 plot line was like the stupidity of the the idea of we're gonna put this robot and we're gonna scatter him all across this planet where there is like mad max style creatures and then we're gonna get the enterprise crew we're gonna track them even though all these other starships can detect it as well they're going to land they're going to go over this radius pick up this parts to get him on the enterprise to then have him be put together to then have him take on board all this ship this like information on where the federation fleet are to then <laughs> send it back to shows i was like oh my word it's like more convoluted than a, a russian plot it's just i thought that was a bit excessive amy uh, okay tell let me, me i'm wrong uh, let me help you out so why did he have to be in pieces? Well, okay. He had to be in pieces because they had to go and search for him. If they just came down exactly to where this put together android was, they'd pick him up and they'd go back. That wouldn't give the Remans the time that they needed to surround the ship so that they're trying to block him, you know, to try and capture him. So that was a, a, pl- a not a plot, but it was their strategy to make sure that they were out on the planet long enough so that they could surround their spacecraft, their shuttlecraft. That made perfect sense to me. They were buying themselves time because they were, you didn't see them. So they had to be hiding or beamed in or whatever. So then they had to get enough time so that they could fulfill their purpose, which is another amazing, great scene. When they're driving the Argo and the uh, shuttlecraft goes over the edge, the math involved in that, I'm like, okay, they have to have the velocity, there's gravity, and the ship has to be exactly right there, and they stick the landing. That's amazing. I love that scene every single time. Richard, are you convinced on Amy's argument that the B4 plot line to get them spread all across this radius was a really good plot idea? Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with no on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it, to me, that it said uh, we need to fill... 
10, 15 minutes of the of the movie, and here we go. Let's just cut them up into pieces. <laughs> That's what it said to me. I mean, you could have, I guess, if, if you really wanted to have, I guess, the natives surround them or something like that, um, you could always do the uh, him being stupid and or whatever, uh, you know, it's like, Ooh, you know, why is he, why is his head bald or some, something like that, you know, and then you could have done that. But I mean, really, yeah, I, I, I thought that was a filler piece for the movie to, to add more minutes to it. Can yeah. I add uh, talking about that? Cause there have been some fans, I guess that would say that didn't appreciate that, Captain Picard is driving the Argo and that's our next question. Oh, <laughs> <Ding>. <laughs> sorry. I didn't look at the script. It's okay. No okay. worries at all. And uh, I, go I was going to say one thing. Like I think it's also a bit bizarre that the Kolaran, uh, Koralan uh, natives look almost exactly like Remans. And you're thinking that the, the first thing you watch going, wait, are those Remans? Even though they're not Remans, they just look like Remans. It's like, a bit of variation guys it's a bit of a bizarre one well they are that close to the uh neutral zone so there's gonna have some similarities uh, really to be like honest a very different planet though in terms of like um Remen is this like planet where they they grew up underground very similar to vampires which they look like whereas Kolaran 4 or whatever is like broad daylight so like they should look very, very much different based on their environmental factors. Surely? Yeah, I, I sort of thought they were Remans, but yeah. Yes! Stomp Damie! Stomp Damie! Yes! <laughs> <laughs> so, All right. I'll take that. I'll take that one victory. I'm going to fly my, uh, my Scottish flag. So, on to one of the many common complaints about Star Trek Nemesis. It didn't really come up in the Babel conference, so this is one of mine. The Argo and the Prime Directive. Why is Picard acting like he's one of the Dukes of Hazard, rampaging around with a dune buggy, killing primitive alien life? Is this really the John Luke Picard we knew and respected from the TV series? Surely not, Amy. Okay, Lee, I appreciate this question and I really appreciate Chris Reeve on the Babel Conference for pointing this out to me. And, uh, okay, so part of the theme of the movie, right, you have the older Picard and the younger Shinzon and the, the choices that you make in life. And so this whole thing with Picard driving the Argo or the scorpion on the scimitar, you know, Data's like, do you want me to, you know, steer or drive? And he's like, no, I got it. So, and Chris points out that Picard is going through a midlife crisis here. And he's because of his face-to-face with Shinzon and where would he be and what choices. Like this is him re-identifying with himself and trying to capture these younger days that he used to have. And so for me, that really makes sense and only adds to his character and the context of Picard's story. Richard, are you convinced? Did you buy into Captain Jean-Luc Picard's on a June buggy, having a few Budweiser beers and shooting back with Worf and Data in the, the outback? You had to use a crap beer, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Please insert your favorite beer into that quotation. Oh, okay, okay, okay. We'll, we'll do that. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I think we need to string him up and uh, Corey Marshall is, but, um, you know, <laughs> no, and, and, you know, yeah, it, it, he definitely, uh, I, I can see it too, uh, that, you know, if he's having a midlife crisis and, um, I mean, it's definitely a story of, you know, what could have, what, what, what he, what he could have done with his life instead of, you know, being a starship captain and, uh, you know, basically marrying his career. Um, and you know, not starting a family. So yeah, I, I, I see it. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he is having a bit of a, a midlife crisis and all, but this isn't like movie Picard is very much different from t- TV Picard. And I know people say, Oh, his younger days. And as we see in tapestry, maybe this is something we could do one day. We would compare the young and the old and the movie Picard, the three different cycles. But, um, I don't see Picard's, that I ever saw in any sort of TV show kind of acting like this. And even when we see kind of how he talks about his youth and, you know, he, he was a runner, he, you know, this French captain doesn't strike me as a dune buggy kind of guy. And I just think the idea of Picard, who was ever so passionate, constantly about the prime directive, interfering with life, you know, loved a lecture on it. That isn't Picard that he's running around blasting away, shooting at these people. It's, it's ultimately action movie schlock disguised as oh this will be a funny thing for Picard to do well it just kind of you know messes over all those years of of franchise uh, development that he went through with and I, I think it's just it's just real out of place I think and he had his midlife crisis and insurrection anyway, so he's, he should be he should really be over that by now. Those, those, those rings must be having some effect on him. As far as I'm concerned insurrection didn't happen. I, I was insurrection. I must have. I must still be hungover from last weekend. I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so, why did it feel like nothing happened with Worf and Wesley since we last saw them? Poses Christopher Quarry, and I could actually say, Day as well. Like this emotion chip, and now he's just back to being this really obtuse guy that he basically was in season one or two. That doesn't match up with the reality of the data that we've grown to as well. Why does it feel like there's been so much character growth that has just been blatantly ignored, Amy? This is the one point that I will have to concede, and I do agree that they, yeah. Why is there no character development? For I mean, Worf has been through an entire series. I just, I it's difficult. At least there's a reason and a justification why Worf is there. I mean, because he's attending the wedding that apparently he didn't invite anyone to. But that's beside the point. Um, so, I, I yeah, I don't understand. Well, I do. And this is because we all know the Patrick Stewart and Bryn Spiner, they were uh, wanting the show more about them. And even at the wedding scene, like this, the wedding scene, it's not even about Riker or uh, Deanna. You know, it's about Picard toasting them. So even that part of the movie, which as a fan of Troy and Riker, I wanted to see about them. It's all about Picard. I I didn't appreciate that. What about yourself, Richard? Are you convinced? You know, obviously Amy's not convinced on this. Are you convinced on this that all this character growth um, and plot lines just being ignored? Wesley was off to the Traveler. Worf was an ambassador. Now he's back on the Enterprise Bridge, kicking about. Wesley's back in Starfleet uniform. What's that about? <laughs> um, honestly, I don't care about Wesley. <laughs> so you know, if he fell off the 
uh, the galactic plane or whatever or or fell off some cliff i wouldn't care um but <laughs> but like um yeah you know honestly uh, up to this point in all the movies and all the series and everything i think Worf has got quite a bit um i don't think we really need i i honestly i don't think we really needed him in this uh, movie to be quite honest but it is a next generation movie and you know he is a part of the crew so why not but like yeah i just don't i i, I mean because like there's a lot of stories about Worf throughout TNG throughout Deep Space Nine really that guy uh, uh, to me he's seen enough um, and you know obviously there's a ton of uh, uh, there's you know now he's spoiler alert um, he's uh, the XO on the Enterprise in the books so <laughs> so it's just yeah I think he's got quite a bit um, and yeah it there, there was no point really there was no real point for him to be there to be quite honest yeah, like, and besides, think, he's he sucked at shooting that uh, that plasma cannon uh, coming out of the Scorpion too. So he should have gotten all those targets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like um, the Worf plotline annoys me because I, I love Deep Space Nine, obviously, and to have him, he had this incredible growth and nuance in Deep Space Nine and in Insurrection, nowhere to be seen. It's definitely seen in First Contact and in Nemesis. It's like it, it just shove him in. Like all I had to take was that he was the ambassador there catching up whatever but like they literally just pretend like nothing happened and it's almost like the end of Deep Space Nine was just totally disrespected and you know people will come out with this well if you read it in this books or this companion pieces like a lot of the the books that have kind of been written before and in the before and after Nemesis kind of timeline have just been responses to the massive holes that are in this movie like oh uh, the reason Day acts like this is that he had his chip removed and it's for whatever he had a Starfleet court martial or whatever or Wesley came back and then he did all these things yeah that means nothing to me like you put it on the screen don't leave your best stuff and your story development written in the books as the after things let's let's find out why these people are there and, and Day is truly irritating at the start of this movie and um, he's better by the end but it's, it's just so frustrating to see character growth from 15 years hundreds of episodes just so blatantly ignored well, and that's the one thing that, I mean, I feel like through the series and with the other movies that they've always treated, you know, we know the secondary characters, the Crusher and, you know, Troy and Jordy, but in this movie specifically, and this is the only thing I don't like about it, is you don't get that family feel because it is the Picard and Data story. And so for that, I, I don't appreciate it because you just see throughout the series, it's always, in, you know, different episodes highlight different characters and you sort of get that equal feel and build of characters where this one is just, yeah, the Picard and Data story. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the problems really with the movies is the Picard and Data show. Like, you know, moments where this opportunity for growth through the characters are just, just ignored to give Data and Picard more more screen time. And that's, that's frustrating. Oh, and firing torpedoes at the Nebula. That probably has more screen time than Troy and Crusher and Geordi <laughs> combined in the movies. So this is quite the accusation here. Picard's Starfleet Academy foe is Tom Hardy and looks nothing like Picard did at that era. <laughs> now, Nathan Campbell thinks that the writers are treating the viewers like they're idiots. Do you think that's true, Amy? Do you think John Logan is treating the fans like they're idiots with that, well, addition? 
The whole picture thing was very weird. And, you know, we definitely in the series have seen Picard in Starfleet and it, it yeah, it, it is weird. Um, but I forgive it because of its purpose that he's opening up with, you know, Beverly about it and thinking about it. And again, going back and saying, what choices have I made? So although it is a picture of Tom Hardy, we get the idea that, oh, they look like each other and that they're supposed to be each other. We could have done without it because, yes, we are an intelligent audience, but I I forgive it. It doesn't hang me up at all. What about yourself, Richard? Do you think that they were thinking the viewers were idiots going, oh, like we have to put this young picture of uh, Tom Hardy in there or else people won't think that they're actual clones. What did you think? My lawyer is telling me to not answer. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I didn't see it as, uh, as a, you know, the fan are the fans idiots or, you know, based on the photo or, or anything like that. I thought it was, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm not wired that way and I didn't even think of it that way, but like, it, it's just, um, I, I thought it was an, um, important piece for him to reflect back to his youth, um, after meeting Shinzon. So, I mean, yeah, I mean. I, I think it's an important piece to it. I mean, whether whether it's, you know, someone that looks like him or it's just someone else, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it's, fine. it's fine with me. Yeah, that's being nitpicky. Well, I'm, as a lawyer, I have to be anal here, Amy. And yeah, it, it, I just saw, I remember seeing it in the cinema and just rolling my eyes like, seriously, like, you know, I know what Picard looked like as a kid. He doesn't look like a bald Tom Hardy. Um, I mean, Tom Hardy is literally shaved headed bald in that. Picard actually does have hair. He's called the bald captain. He's just <laughs> bald on his chrome dome, as it were. Um, so yeah, that, that did annoy me. So here we go. We're, it was time we've we've we're building up to him. It's now time for Shinzon, and I think well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something a bit different for this Shinzon one. Ah, talking of Shinzon, may have taken issue. <laughs> talking of Shinzon, many have taken issue with the space brat of a bad guy. Tom Hardy is an incredible actor and would go on to play an intimidating bald villain. But in this one, he comes across as a murdering teenager. Is Shinzon an underrated villain or is he truly badly written? Amy. Okay. Shinzon by far is not badly written. Who is this your question, Lee? Um, Yes, of course. (laughs) This... Okay, I even put in my notes after watching it, the words that they use, the speaking, the dialogue that they have is so, so good. I think Shinzon is awesome, and Tom Hardy makes the show. He does such a good job. I don't think he's ever... A moaning teenager, is that the quote that you gave him? No, he is curious about who he is, wants to see about Picard. When the Viceroy reminds him you're being foolish, then he's all 100% on task and going to get Picard, take his blood, and live on forever. So I think Shinzon is an excellent foil for Picard. I, yes. 
He. Wh- what about yourself, Richard? Did you think like Shinzon? I actually did like Shinzon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it, I, I thought he was uh, brilliantly um, written. To be quite honest, I, you know, obviously, you know, he's got his he's got his backstory. We we know how how he how he came to be, and you know, he his his quest to, I guess, um, uh, exist. Is that right? Yeah, uh, exist. Uh, you know, it makes sense. You know, you got to kill the original in order to make the uh, make the copy uh, uh, live, and you know, the echo. You know, the, Over all that the kind voice. of stuff. <gasps> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, the dialogue <laughs> is so, 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 so good. I think it. I, yeah, I thought it was good. I, I really did. I thought it was really good. I really do. Yeah, I think like in the beginning and the discussion where Picard and um, Bane are having a chat over uh, dinner, essentially, where they're talking about like what it was like to be a Picard. And I think that kind of ties nicely into Generations, which is probably one of the best scenes in, in the movies where Picard's talking about the family line. I think that's all really good. But I think really by the end of the movie, it's, it starts to completely fall apart and his motivations come across like a bratty teenager, like target that ship and kill everything. Oh, let's let's go destroy Earth. You know, it, like, it's some brilliant writing at the beginning, the echo over the voice, for example, a great line. <laughs> well, I just think like they just... It just becomes a bit schlocky towards the end and they're, they're fighting away this old man and the young version. It's just, it's just a bit silly, really. Um, so I think it, it, it definitely starts off well. And I mean, anyone that saw Nemesis at the time, I, I don't think pretty much everyone came away thinking he's a brilliant actor. So, um, well, Tom Hardy's a brilliant actor. So, yeah, I think there's pluses there. Well, I think you might be missing the big picture of it all. So why Shinzon, in your opinion, becomes this teenage brat boy and getting spoiled and I'm going to destroy you. So look at it this way. At the beginning of the movie, they, it, it goes, okay, at the beginning of the movie, Everything is about this mirror and being one. And Shinzon is like, you know, we are the same. We're looking up at the stars and and even with the B4 and Data, I am your brother. And so the whole part of the first half of the movie is everyone being the same. We want to unite the Remans and the Romulans. We want to unite with the Federation. So everything is coming together as one. And then at the end, it's just brilliant where um, now you see the Enterprise crew, they are still acting as family. They are still, you know, Data uh, disengages or turns off before and Riker takes out the Viceroy and Troy, you know, finds finds her strength and, you know, gets the ship and... So they're all acting together, but it's Shinzon and his crew that's that's not. And the, his line where he says, I am Shinzon. And so now he's taking his individuality and he's going to make his choices, not based on any of this Picard. What would the Picards do? He's taking his individuality. So it's that divergence of at the beginning of the movie where everything wants to be one and united to this divergence divergence of who is Shinzon. But what about like the, I think just like the idea of destroying Earth is just one of those ones they think, oh, 
that's what we have to do to kind of create some sort of tension because it's Earth. We all come from Earth because we're watching this movie, unless it's being echoed out into space. Um, so it's the idea that, oh, Earth's a threat and now Earth's in danger. I just felt that was a step too far. Like, yeah, just have him as in this ship where he's maybe just off to go strike at the Federation or do something. The idea that, oh, he's off to Earth because that's what he's going to do. Okay, sure. It just seems, it seems just a bit of a, a silly justification like they could just have him do the continued same thing but just sort of that he's off to earth seems just a bit too excessive that's what i feel well he's he needed that to win over the romulans and then to you know supposedly go under this guise of we're going to unite the federation but in reality the romulans have always wanted to destroy the federation so to me it makes perfect sense interesting what about yourself, Richard? Do you think uh, you had all those hours of military training and tactics? Do you think it was a, a wise plan from Shinzon to go strike and chop off the Federation head that is Earth? Uh, if I had a ship like that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I, if it would... Okay, so if I was Shinzon, uh, I would have just captured uh, Picard and... Um, and I don't know, basically just held him. And instead of instead of just waiting in orbit with the Enterprise right there and you're at Romulus, I would have been already en route to, uh, to Earth if that was my plan. So, yeah, I, I, it would have been done a lot quicker <laughs> than what was, uh, what was actually given because I never understood why he even stayed there. It's like, why not just capture him and then go and then do it en route? Do they need more power or something like that? And the warp engines or something like that can't can't do that or or, or something. I don't know. But yeah, um, yeah. Excellent. Now, now, now that we've we, listened. To, what, one more, and you know what? And that would have been a better scene. You would have had all these starships against the the scimitar, and that would have been freaking awesome so that would have been better than the enterprise <laughs> yeah. i think that was the original plan as well that they were gonna have a fleet of federation starships but ultimately just came down to money 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 um and it you know obviously is funny in uh, their world so um yeah they just couldn't couldn't spend the money on this fleet because that was the they were certainly the original plan and i think one last question really is that is this a fitting end for a generation's final journey you know all good things is potentially perfect ending is this the best way that they could end the next generation story that we would talk about each and every week and love amy is this the best is this the perfect ending it is an ending i will say that the lawyers got you well consulted there you're right you're you know even james comey would have been proud of you right there <laughs> well let me say all good things that will okay as a fan that's what we want to see we want to see the crew all together going off uh, and continuing in our minds however we know that's not the case and so I, that's why I do like this ending and I think it is fitting that finally Riker gets his ship and uh, Troy's married and you know they they're going their separate ways but but yet they are still going. And so for me, it is a very fitting ending because we're not in the same 
situations in our life. And just because I'm here in Las Vegas doesn't mean that's where I'm going to be buried. I mean, you move around and you, life takes you different places. And so to see that in the characters is a, a very nice ending. And so I like all good things because that makes me happy. But this is a little bit more realistic. What about yourself, Richard? Is this the perfect ending for the next generation crew? I don't know about perfect ending. Um, yeah, it would. It, I mean, it would have been nice to see everyone uh, basically um, uh, have like an uh, have like an ending. Even though we do know about Worf, I mean, like I said, Worf doesn't even need to be there, and or even an explanation of Wesley why he's even there. Um, yeah, it's just. It, it, yeah, it could have been done better. I, I, or at least another movie. I, I, I do believe that they were planning on another one, or, or I think that. Uh, and, um, but, and then ultimately that got kiboshed, and this, this was basically the end. Um, but like, yeah, it, it could have been done. It could have been done a little bit nicer, a little, you know, in a little bit more elegant, like, like the original series in Star Trek Seven. I mean, that was a great ending. I mean, for all of them, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I agree. I think uh, All Good Things is a perfect ending. And I always think of, say, Star Trek Six. I mean, it's slightly tainted by Generation's ending of what they do with Kirk after. But, like, I think it just needed that bit of sort of reflection of, you know, you know, the journey does continue for many of these characters in different ways. Much like Deep Space Nine, some people move on, some people don't. That's life. Um, and I just felt Nemesis was just like, this wasn't the best way to end a series which posed so many philosophical questions was about adventure and family. It, I never kind of got much of a family feel from this movie. I just, you know, it was disappointing ultimately. And um, I think, you know, maybe it should have had like 12 endings like uh, Return of the King had or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's fine enough as an ending. But in terms of the grand scheme, it's just... It falls short for me. Um, yeah. Oh, well, I liked that. Yeah, that they're all doing their own things. I mean, even as we know, Enterprise is a crew member and we see her getting rebuild and repair. And even during that shot, isn't that TOS music? I am yeah, pretty the sure. Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, it was his original kind of the motion picture score, yeah. which translated so, to next gen. Yeah, you've got that music going on of the rebuild and repair and hope for the future. And I know a lot of people don't like before singing Never Saw the Sun. Oh, that my goodness. I, I love that part. I love that I didn't part. mind that much. Oh, <laughs> but that it's that hope springs eternal and they're okay. Okay, there will be another data. It would have been better if they would have uh, if they would have played the first song he ever whistled. Oh yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love that bit where Riker's like, and it's such a human moment. Like he can't quite remember what the song that he whistled was. That's a human moment, as opposed to I remember what it was. Like he wouldn't have remembered that, and it was just a nice. It was a human moment. Yeah, I think the ending we did get that sense of loss for data but then moving on through time i i think it is a good ending yeah, yeah. so this brings us naturally to our ending so amy and richard you know before we throw it out to the judges and juries and uh, our, our amazing wonderful listeners um what are your final thoughts after going through the evidence brought to us by eyewitnesses on star trek nemesis 
have we changed our minds on what we think of Nemesis? Have you convinced that yourself, Amy, that you still believe this is a great movie? Richard, listen to Amy's impassioned defense. Has she maybe swayed you on a few things or in the movie overall? Yes, Richard. Have I swayed you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was always a fan, and oh, I absolutely. Bitcoin's what? just gone up by a thousand pounds there. So, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, it was a terrible movie. I absolutely hate it. It's garbage. <laughs> no, um, I, I absolutely love this movie. And then when Amy said uh, something about uh, the Wrath of Khan and not seeing it. <sighs> Yeah, that was it for me. No, <laughs> no, it's a great film. I, I think it's, uh, I mean, despite, I mean, I, I despite all the, the, the flaws uh, that are in the movie and uh, the shortcomings for all the endings for, uh, for practically most of the characters, um, I, I still think it's a great film. I mean, r- r- besides the space battle, I, I really think it's, I think it's a really good film. I really do. I mean, I don't, to be quite honest, I don't even understand why it flopped in the theater to be quite honest i mean it came out the same week like a week before or a week after um lord of the rings the two towers uh, and it, so it got fairly crushed i think it the week it came out it came second in the box office to jennifer lopez is made in manhattan oh wow yeah that movie oh <laughs> Well, it didn't movie. matter because I was in Iraq when, when it happened, so it didn't matter. <laughs> so. It was probably more, yeah, like when I went to see uh, Nemesis, obviously I'd, I saw it a month month later, and as I've mentioned before, uh, I was so embarrassed about seeing Star Trek Nemesis at that point. Um, I pretended I was going to see Elf instead. Uh, Nemesis didn't come out till the new year, like like January 2nd here. Yeah, but and uh, I, I was so excited for the movie like so so excited like the trailers were brilliant I'd read the script uh, well in advance and then I remember just going into a half empty cinema it was like just practically dead and it was like oh this isn't very good oh okay bye <laughs> it was just this is disappointing um, I mean I in retrospect it, it's fine enough it's okay it's better than most movies it's worse than most movies it's 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 fine it's you know I, I can watch it at a push I'll watch it if I'm doing something else maybe but it's it's definitely not in the top tier of any of the Star Trek movies by by any stretch for me and Amy, have you changed your mind or anything after this debate and discussion and uh, witness testimony from the Babel conference? No, I have my closing argument and <laughs> I am calling to the stand many people who are here to back me up. Uh, first of all, Brandon Shamutella. Uh, no, he hates Nemesis. What are you talking about, Amy? I've got a question from Brandon. The score for Nemesis is absolutely atrocious. Do you agree, Amy? Sorry, I completely forgot to read that one out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Carry on. So he loves Nemesis soundtrack and as do I. It's amazing. And in fact, we love it so much that it is part of our intro music to Earl Grey mind you. So that stands as uh, evidence there. Uh, Rebecca Skipper loves the Data and Picard, how they are trying to improve themselves and not defined by the circumstances that they are in. And that theme goes through. I mean, talk about Star Trek continuing, especially in this film, of these philosophies and social commentary of what choices you have and that you can be better even if you've made poor choices. I mean, that's one of the things that Picard 
Picard does with Shinzon. It's like, you've done all this bad, but you have a choice now to be better. And so that whole, the whole philosophy to me just amplifies why Nemesis is such an amazing movie. Um, there, uh, Zach Fruling from uh, To the Journey and Metatrex, he likes that all races can come together and that idea that we are making choices right now in nature versus nurture. It's all included in this movie, and I love it very, very much, and that is my case. Excellent. Well, we throw it now out to the judge and jury that is the listeners and let us know what you thought. Like the, we were, I mean, we were truly blown away by the amount of comments and interaction <laughs> when we threw it out. We thought we'd get like five, ten comments like, oh, I don't like before or, you know, this bit's rubbish or whatever like that. I think it was like last I checked, like 130 comments where it was equal much praising uh, Nemesis, which was emboldening, emboldening Amy. Yes, and, it uh, was. It was so good. Thank <laughs> Thank you for coming to my defense. So uh, hopefully there's something in this for everyone. Uh, and, you know, maybe this won't be our first or last stump. Someone maybe will find out what the guilty pleasures that me and Richard have that other people <laughs> seem to think are terrible and we can debate them. It, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode and it's something a bit different for you. So, uh, yeah. So... Trying to stump Amy Nelson isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM. Here's what's been happening on all our other shows. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. The ultimate fantasy was being called the ultimate fiasco, the ultimate fallacy, the ultimate F-up. And one girl on Sunday afternoon, they were she tells a story, they were walking to dinner, and she says, oh my God, you guys, they were talking some of these you know snarky names. She goes, no, 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 you guys, listen, listen. We've just survived the con of wrath. And they all, like, died laughing. Warp 5. At that time, you know, PTSD was not even a diagnosis. We had, for generations, had different terms to describe issues with soldiers. Soldiers' heart, you know, combat fatigue, uh, shell shock. Melodic treks. I have a big love in my heart. You know, like, my top three episodes are Where No Man's Gone Before. Believe it or not, The Alternative Factor and the lights of Zatar. I just almost passed out. <laughs> Meta Trex. For me, just as soon as Quark goes under the knife, it kind of... It um, is not essential Trek philosophy. Something correct. seriously goes wrong. <laughs> not for me, no. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. You can listen to every show on the network at trek.fm with links for iTunes, streaming services, and a direct download link. This episode of Real Great is brought to you by audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPod, iPad, Kindle, Android, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trek.fm. Thank you, Audible, for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. If you are a weekly listener and would like to directly help Earl Grey, please consider becoming a patron of Trek FM. At patreon.com slash Trek FM, you can choose a pledge level and receive rewards. For example, $5 a month gets you into our patron zone. You get exclusive content and access to our early release of all of the shows. At the $15 a month, you get to participate in our monthly roundtable discussions. They are so much fun, and that's how I got 
started on the network. At $25 a month, you get associate producer credits for any podcast you choose. At this time, we would like to thank our current Patreon associate producers, Michael Huter and Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Earl Grey. Another way to help out the network and get cool stuff is to visit Redbubble at redbubble.com slash shop slash Trek FM. You can find amazing designs for t-shirts, pillows, phone cases, and more. And with each purchase, a portion of the sales goes to Trek FM. Connect with other Trek FM listeners on our Facebook discussion group called The Babel Conference. You can search that on Facebook, B-A-B-E-L, or you can like the facebook.com slash Trek FM page for show updates and other announcements. The network is also on Twitter at Trek FM. If you would like to contact Lee, Richard, or me... Amy, visit trek.fm slash contact to send us a subspace message or find us on social media. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Very astute. The echo over the voice. Spend 18 hours under the lash of a Romulan guard and you'll soon understand patience.